Welcome, welcome, welcome to our first Software of Excellence podcast on durable growth. I'm Josh Wren and I'm the sales manager here at Software of Excellence. Today I'm going to be joined by two amazing guests and I can't wait to introduce you in a moment. So, you know, what, what do we mean by durable growth? Durable growth is all about sustainable growth. It's about the ability to withstand economic pressures and we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. It's about proactivity and able to put plans in place to overcome risks and pressures you might not be feeling at the moment. So what's the purpose of, of today? We're going to have a lot of listeners from all over different situations, a mixture of private, NHS, mixed. Some will be feeling the pain of what we're talking about today. Others maybe not so much. But what we want people to be thinking about as they go through this is, you know, what are the tangible actions we can take to mitigate some of the risk that, that could be ahead of us? And we want you to leave with some real solid insight and best practices from our key opinion leaders today. So let's, let's talk through a bit of the journey that we've been through. You know, let's face it, it's been a crazy couple of years. If we go back to um, when the pandemic started, back in 2020, I know in many ways the pandemic feels like old news now, but let's think about the journey that we've been on since that time. Yeah, we went from kind of business as usual to practice shut overnight. And that slow reopen from first seeing patients again um, in a limited capacity to opening the books more and more. But when we reflect back to that, you know, there's a big, big backlog of patients, uh, a real, real lack of appointments for, for a sustained period of time. So we were in a position as an industry where the need to find patients, you know, the need to get patients into the chair wasn't a big issue, right? You know, Finding patients has not been a big problem for, for a lot of practices for, for, for a while now. But one other thing to really think about during this time is we also saw some real supply issues and supply issues in terms of staffing. You know, a lot of people have left the industry. We know a lot of people feel the pain of recruitment and, and resource. Now, if we think about that journey we've been on and the Zoom boom, the drive for cosmetic treatment we saw as well during that time, we now want to think about where we are now. You know, what does 2023 look like in the rest of the year? And we're in a different place. You know, we're seeing signs of things starting to, to change. You know, the need for demand generation, the need to focus on getting patients into the chair is growing as each month's going by. We're seeing signs of this. You know, real small decreases in the average recall rates for practices, small decrease in the number of new patients that, that, are, that are joining practices. When you look at Google Trends, people searching for dentists near me as a term starting to drop off. People searching for teeth whitening starting to drop off. We're seeing the average transaction value really, really um, come down to the fact that it's now slightly lower than it was pre-pandemic, despite the fact that inflation's gone up significantly. So practices are having to work harder to get the same results. And today we want to we really dive into that and see uh, what are the things we can do to proactively overcome those things? We can be joined by, by two panellists that are going to really dive into the best practices that they've adopted to, to help navigate these times, and we really hope that you'll take some real tangible actions from this. Let's get started on the, on the podcast itself, and I'm really, really excited to, to welcome today's guest. So, Felicity. Hi, um, my name is Felicity Bender. I'm the um, clinical director of Archway Dental in Callington, which is in the southeast of Cornwall. Um, we've got a five surgery private practice currently, and we're just about to add a second site nearby um, to our practice. So we, we want to grow um, as, as the year goes on. Hi, I'm Camille. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO at Tooth Club. We're a group of 11 dental practices. Unlike Felicity, I'm not a dentist, uh, but we, uh, we build uh, squat practices and really nice Instagrammable um, and patient accessible dental practices. Brilliant. Thank you so much and, um, and, and for joining us today. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversation ahead. So look, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the um, challenges that, that, that we're seeing in, in the industry. And now, before we dive into that, you know, how are you finding things at the moment? What what are you seeing? So I think certainly from uh, from my perspective, we uh, you know gr growing a group, you know, patient demand uh, is still remains high for the more aesthetic cosmetic type dentistry. Uh, what we've certainly seen is a reduction in more of the kind of sub subscription type plan type patient base because I think people have kind of gone through their bills and realised actually we don't want to be paying monthly for things. We'll pay as and when it's due. 
Um, I think the you know, cost of living crisis has also been a big impact on us in terms of minimum wage going up. And, and I think recruitment's a hot topic. And what have you, like, you know, you mentioned in there, you know, variations across the, the different types and aspects of, of dentistry. You know, what, what steps have you put in place to, I suppose, look to overcome some of those, those challenges? Yeah, I mean, a, a, few, a few challenges. So I think, you know, um, be, for us, being accessible to patients is really, really important. So most of our clinics are based in the high street um, and, you know, availability of appointments, that kind of thing is really important, weekends, evenings. So giving patients that flexibility as to when they can come to the dentist should they need it. Um, but also making sure that we're delivering an outstanding patient journey. I think that's at the forefront of, of all of our minds because there's a lot of dental practices around. There's a lot of competition around. Patients can choose. I think kind of now there is also a lot more availability of NHS appointments compared to kind of during COVID times. So as a private practice, we want to make sure that we're giving patients the very best patient journey. So we're going to choose us over, over, over anyone else. So that's really important to us. I think, you know, in terms of recruitment um you know hiring good talent is incredibly hard again for a few reasons one brexit means there's kind of a reduced number of overseas uh clinicians um you know dent trainee dental nurses coming over so that whole pipeline has changed i think there's a decline in the number of uh nurses re-registering with the gdc all of that has really impacted recruitment I think during COVID as well, there's this whole increase of everyone opening squats and look, we've opened quite a few, but there was this whole thing where lots of practices or lots of principals or first time dentists said, we're gonna open a squat practice. And I think with that meant more competition, it meant more people wanted the same same talent. Um, so I think those challenges are present and the way that we, we've overcome that as a business is just to make sure that we have, you know, when we hire someone, we're giving them the best induction and training. You know, they're coming into a environment which is, uh, you know, where they're going to enjoy working and being. Because let's face it, all of us spend probably more time at work than we do at our home with our friends and family. So that environment is really important. Um, and culture and values, making sure that, you know, all of our teams, particularly as an 11 practice group, you know, how do I make sure that every single practice, every single one of my staff has the same culture and values that I want in a, a single site. So those are the kind of the challenges and, and we do that, you know, a lot by training, encouragement, um, you know, uh, and, and really supporting supporting our staff. Um, Felicity, what about yourself? What, what are you seeing at the moment? Well, just after the lockdown eased, initially we saw a big increase in patient inquiries. Uh, obviously, we have private practice as well, same as Canal. And we've really seen you know, a big surge. We actually expanded our practice just after that point. And, um, and, and that, so we saw a boom at that time. That's definitely slowed down. Um, and we're seeing, you know, a steady inflow of new patients, but it's definitely not what it was. We had a long waiting list that we, we don't currently have anymore. Um, but patients are still looking around the, the, the reduction in NHS services and accessibility in that area, it means there's many, many desperate people in our in our area. In Cornwall in particular, we have five-year waiting lists for NHS services. So that's absolutely, you know, it's just really dire. So we do have a good inflow of patients. I think services such as Invisalign, implants, demand for that has definitely dropped in our area. Um, I think we're a little bit more susceptible to economic change in the southwest of the, you know, in, in Cornwall, um, we have very different challenges to the southeast. But um, so it may be that we're able to sort of see that trend a little earlier than than Canals practices, for instance. Um, so I would I would totally agree. Um, the patient journey again, same as Canal, we obviously work really hard to provide our patients with the very very best patient journey and care and and listening to them and building relationships with them. Most of our patients, um, new patients, come through word of mouth, through recommendations. So we, we really, you know, thrive on that. Um, and, you know, retention, recruitment, what can I say? It's a huge topic. I think every practice in the country is struggling with that at the moment. And um, again, you know, providing an, a, a great environment for our team. Um, and the patients pick up on that as well. And, and that vibe really goes right the way through. People, when they come into a practice that's got a happy team, they can feel it, They, you know, and it makes them feel good. It makes the experience good um, and, and everybody's happy. 
most of our team, our sort of last few sort of um, team members that have joined us have actually come through recommendation from our existing team as well. And again, that's that's a great source for for recruitment. People are so important, aren't they? I, I, I build our, our practices that we build are kind of supposed to be very Instagrammable. They look very glamorous and they're very nice. And I always say, you know, you can put as many flower trees and flower walls and nice furniture. But what matters is the people. You get, you know, and it just takes that one person to ruin your patient journey. And then they'll go and tell another 10 people. Absolutely. And like you say, you know, patients, they are interested in having a modern environment that looks good and feels good and have all the technology. But it's really the people, the interactions of the team, feeling empowered, being able to offer the patient's choice and getting to know the patient that I think really makes all the difference. Um, and, and we've certainly found that over the last year, we've, we've grown hugely and that's been large part down to our team. Because it's a scary place going to the dentist, right? We kind of forget because we work in that environment all the time, but it's actually quite scary. And I still get scared when I get in the dental chair today, right? Um, I completely get anxiety about going to the dentist. Uh, uh, I won't tell you my failure to attend rate um, because it drives me like <laughs> crazy. But, um, you know, it is. And I think we often forget about, you know, you, you go to the dentist once every six months, right? Yeah, and you're sitting in the waiting room. And that time in the waiting room, you know, can feel like forever. You know, if the dentist is delayed by 10 minutes, that can feel like half an hour to people. Uh, and it's a whole anxiety of, of going to the dentist. And I certainly think as well, with our, with my particular age, I, I feel like when I was a child going to the dentist, it was a, a very cold uh, environment where it felt like they were, the dentist was going to put you in pain. Whereas dentistry has come on so much further now away from that, but you still have it at the back of your mind. So I think, you know, every moment of that patient journey is so important from the waiting room, to, to, to getting booked in, to the waiting room, to going in the chair, and then the, and then coming out and, and making people feel feel good and being feel, feel valued and uh, as a customer. I think you make a re- really really good point there because it's so easy to do to do what you've said there is you know being in the industry you kind of you know taking that step out to put yourself into a typical patient's shoes is such an important exercise to do because you know it's easy when when you understand the industry you know about everything you know how it's come along you know a lot of people don't know that they don't feel that and if I'm honest with you I don't want to break break this to everyone listening but I don't ever wake up in the morning and say I fancy going to the dentist today you know it's not something that typically people are thinking of right so yeah that patient experience is absolutely um, absolutely critical so I think the thing that's coming through really clear here is that patient experience is key but the team are absolutely at the at the heart of that Felicity you mentioned that you use the word empowerment you know empowering the team yeah like tell, tell me more about that so you know a lot of the interactions that go on in a practice day to day are you know they, they can be seen like little small things that make all the difference to the patient and you know we you know of course in a team we get asked oh should I do this should I do that and our answer is you know what do you think what do you think you should do what do you think is the right thing to do because most of the time the team have got the right answer already they know what the right thing is to do it, it, and we always want to make sure the patient's being well looked after and what would we do for our parents or our children you know how would we want that person to be treated and that's our philosophy really is is you know allowing the team to make those small calls that you know should I you know be able to move this or do this or you know it can be anything really and the answer is you know what do you think you know we don't want to be in a culture of you know tell do tell do we want our team to be able to make those calls and and that's what makes that journey for the patient much more smooth it's what gives you know that effect that people just feel like I had this problem they took care of it we moved on rather than having to say oh I'll ask my manager I'll ask my manager I'll ask my manager there's nothing worse than if you have a problem you go into a store or a shop or whatever what you think of is a relatively sort of small request or you know a routine problem and the answer is I'll have to ask my manager and get back to you you know it just loses that journey you just lose that that goodwill you know very quickly because you think oh hang on a minute why can't you just deal with this right now and that's what we try to uh, enable our team to really push past anything like that and, and be able to look after the, the patient and, and make them feel happy and, and listen to you know and there's always uh, challenges and problems and you know hiccups with things you know we all know that and it's it's how you deal with it which is the most important absolutely and you know, I think that that level of empowerment is absolutely is, is absolutely critical. How, how do you, you know if you've got um, 
you know, if we've got any anyone listening today and perhaps they're thinking, oh, I, I don't necessarily do this. I quite like control of, of, of situations and stuff like that. And actually sometimes letting go of that control can be a real difficult thing for, for a person. What advice would you give them? I would say, you know, it is a bit of a leap of faith. If you're, if you, if the culture within your team is very much that, you know, there's a practice manager that makes all the decisions or there's a practice principal who has to know about absolutely everything that's, that's going on within the business. Of course, we all feel that we want to, you know, we want, you know, our businesses are our babies. We want them to thrive and, and that's mm-hmm. what keeps the team going. That's what enables us to provide the service. But if you're always wanting to control everything all the time, it means that, you're more stressed, your team are more stressed, the patients feel that stress, because there isn't a chain of, um, you know, that empowerment isn't there. And and that can make teams feel, you know, uptight and not perform at their best. So I I think the, the best thing to do is really just start with some small steps, allowing your team to make more decisions and and have that empowerment see how that goes and then it takes time and it and takes energy and and commitment but if you're wanting to rein everything back in again all the time you're just back to square one and and I think it it can make practice ownership much more stressful I believe yep. yeah. uh, I think look to add to that from my perspective as I'm a complete control freak by nature you can't change it however I've had to learn particularly with the 11 practice group um, of how to empower and trust your team. And I think it's it's so important. And one of the things that we do in our group is I always hire people that are better than me. If you're going to be my finance director, you need to be better at it than I am. If you're going to be my marketing person, you have to be better than I am. And I think hiring the right people um, is really important. And then, and, But then you're doing them a massive disjustice if you're going to hire good people and then be a control freak and not let them do what they're going to do. And they're going to do it slightly differently. And I think the way that I, my coping mechanism has always been to give people parameters to say, actually, even at our kind of local practice manager levels, because every dental clinic that we have is different. It has to be different for the local area. Um, there's things that are consistent and there's things that we do at a group level to make them kind of efficient and use our scale um, to, uh, to drive efficiency. But there's a level of this is a local business. This is a local dental practice. I'm going to keep it like that. Um, and I think it's about just giving people parameters so they know where the lines are. So, for example, you know, if we've got, um, you know, anything under £100, the practice manager just made a decision, you don't need to ask. Those kinds of things allow people to feel empowered, but at the same time, they know where the boundaries are. And it also help if you are a control freak like me, it helps you uh, kind of manage your control freak kind of traits as well. So um, that's, that's that's how we do it. But it's, it's, it's so important that we do allow people uh, to empower people because that's how they grow. That's how we all grow. We, you know, we... I certainly didn't grow in my career um, through not making mistakes. I actually grew through making mistakes. We have to allow people to make mistakes. And the culture of our businesses is it's okay to make mistakes. As long as we learn from them and, you know, we, and we all share those mistakes and learn from them, uh, you know, it can be a very positive experience to, to, to make mistakes and fail. Absolutely. There's um, a great book. I'm not sure if you, you guys have read um, by Matthew Said, Black Box Thinking, that talks a lot about this and the the, ver- the difference between the aviation industry and healthcare industry in the States and really dives into that environment of encouraging mistakes and actually celebrating mistakes. You know, if people feel comfortable to make mistakes, as you say, as long as they're learning from them, that's where growth comes from, right? So no, that's 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 really, really great to hear. And I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you some stories around this you know you see you sounds like you've created great environments of self-growth and development within the team you know what what's your favorite example have you got any examples you can think of where you know maybe someone's come with a problem and and really created some great innovation like you're saying now maybe something better than you could have thought of or you know that 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 kind of control piece that, that we talked about that goes in the head you know hiring that someone that's perhaps you feels better than you in that specific area what what, what kind of examples we got certainly for my, for my space my operations manager tracy so uh is she's she's phenomenal uh incredibly hard working very very diligent and uh, and you know her her ethos has always been we need systems and processes around everything we do there's not a system and process in place there's something going wrong here um and that and 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 for me that's been the key that's allowed us to scale up because there are systems and processes in place across the board uh, we're able to measure those systems and processes. And and I think, um, you know, had I kind of gone with, to grow a group, and I, I took Tracy on very early in my journey, 
um, with this. And so when I brought her on, uh, on this journey, I thought, oh, you know, we'll get three or four practices, maybe five. Um, and, and I was always about, we want good quality dental practices. We don't, if I have a choice of being the biggest or the best, we're going to choose to be the best. So it was never about building a 50 practice group. It was always about building multi-site, but good, really, really good quality. Um, and what she allowed me to do is when, when I brought her in, I was like, do you know what? I, I need to get rid of, need to step away from some of the day-to-day. -day. So I brought her in and her ability to just standardize, build processes, engage the team um, and get everyone kind of going in the same direction. And don't get me wrong, you know, it's not it's not 100% perfect. There's always things that, there's always challenges and changes that are coming our way. But on the most part, she's been able to do that, which then means that it frees me up to really focus on the broader side. Actually, where is our next dental practice going to be? Okay, what's the next strategic decision we're going to make in terms of the, the services that we're offering? Or, um, you know, how are we going to kind of navigate our way through kind of the cost of living? If I was so ingrained in the practice, I wouldn't be able to do that. And actually, it's not my skill set to be. It's absolutely her skill set. So, I, you know, I'm very thankful to her and my entire team. I've got a really, really good team that surrounds me and, and surrounds our group that allows us to grow. Just to echo what Kunal was saying about um, the team and, 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 you know, having the right people in the right place. You know, our practice is run by myself and, and my husband, Dave, who, um, you know, he's our business development manager um, and director. And he really um, isn't a dentist. He doesn't know, you know, he just really doesn't know much about the specifics of dentistry. But what he is very good at is leading teams. And he you know, I'm very much like Canal, a bit of a control freak. I was, you know, making lots of having to be involved in every decision. And, and you know, I've been there and he's really been key at bringing me back and saying, hang on a minute, you know, you need to let them do what they do. You know, you can't be in, in you know, involved in every problem, every every decision that occurs every day. Otherwise, we won't be able to to grow and, you know, and develop. So, um you know, having someone who's not involved in dentistry actually um, is is really quite an eye opener. And maybe for you, Canal, because you're not you're not a dentist, it gives you that perspective on business, on you know, on you know, in a different area. When you know, dentists can be quite myopic in focusing on the dentistry all the time, but not necessarily looking at the bigger picture um, and how we fit in and how we can develop the team side and. Um, the business side of, of things so yeah having having had um, Dave with me in business for the last um, two and a half years has has been a massive driver for our growth I would say. Yeah and you tend to end up being a non-dentist you end up looking at it uh, from a patient perspective always from a patient perspective um, and, I, and, I, and you know and kudos to the dentist because it is a hard job right I, I do think dentistry is very very difficult you know, you've got a random person that's turned up in front of you that you're going to have to do treatment on. You know, you're worried about your notes, you're worried about your instrument, you're worried about your nurses. You know, you're worried about the actual clinical delivery of the work that you need to do as well. And then, you know, also, you know, with litigation now, litigation's on the up. So you're, you're making sure your notes, your consents, everything's all up. It's a lot of pressure on a clinician that's in a surgery. So I always feel for anyone that's a principal dentist, I think it's a real challenge on managing your surgery and your patients as well as the everything else that's going on outside. I think it's it's near impossible, actually. I think it that unless you kind of split your days, I think it's a, it's, it's really challenging. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, was in, in, the, in the practice, in the surgery, uh, up until about August, September last year, sort of good two, three days a week. Um, and I've largely stepped away from clinical practice now, and, and it's enabled me to have the freedom to look at the business as a whole, make key decisions, if I was practicing dentistry day in, day out in the surgery, um, I think I, I would be broken by now. It really is a stressful job and physically and mentally demanding. So, you know, I, I really have so much respect for our, our, our clinicians, um, you know, and, and also to, to mention our dental therapists as well, who we involve in our practice, you know, a great deal. Um, and, you know, it's it is a tough job. Yeah, I agree. I think the dental therapist is fantastic. Actually, it's great that you that you mentioned that, Felicity, because we've we've very recently introduced um, dental therapists into our um, into our teams, uh, particularly to help us on the NHS UDA delivery, um, and it's worked phenomenally well. We've got some really good, talented therapists working alongside some some of our fantastic dentists. But that's been essential in us being able to deliver our UDA contracts, actually, um, and I think it's going to be on an upward trend. Of, um, 
to get therapists in to, to support the, the clinical work that the, the, the dentist might be able to do. Yeah, I think dental therapists is, is a, one of my, um, actually a, a passion of, of mine because they are often, you know, some of the most engaging, personable um, clinicians that we have in, in our practice, um, often coming from being a dental nurse previously, usually with a lot of life experience and really good people skills. And, you know, they have helped us to grow our business phenomenally. Um, and we really want our therapists to use their full scope of practice so they're able to really feel involved in the team rather than you know it it depends on your practice setup obviously um but for us you know our therapists are empowered to um you know um, examine diagnose treatment plan and sometimes they're referring to the dentist rather than the other way around so you know we have a lovely synergy there in the practice it helps patients get seen sooner it helps um, the, the delivery of the treatment be very prevention focused, which is obviously the modern way of doing dentistry. Um, so there's there's a lot of benefits to utilising dental therapists to their full scope, um, I believe. And, and I think that's the future of, of the industry is to empower dental therapists more. Um, and maybe the future of dentistry is to actually allow dental therapists, if they want to, to go back to university and study to be a dentist without having to do the full five years. So I think that could be a real game changer in dentistry for the future um, if it, you know it's allowed to be um, sort of considered by the GDC, by the universities. I think that that's going to enable patients to have much better access to care. Um, I think if we stick with the traditional way of educating dentists, um, I think it's going to take a long, long time for us to grow that pool of talent back to to what we need it to be. Particularly in areas where it's hard to recruit. So we've got a clinic in Ipswich, very hard to get there, beautiful town um, and great patient base there. It's just really hard. There's no dental schools there. You know, no one particularly wants to kind of go to dental school in London and then move out to Ipswich um, at the age of 25. You know, it is, it's, it's more of a retirement time. So in areas like that, it's actually absolutely ideal. So, so yeah, I, th- I think that's a r- really interesting point with with talking about here because you know we, we go back to a point earlier. Canal mentioned about the sort of exodus of staff from from the industry. We know nurses were a big part of that. Lots of deregistrations um, dur- during the last couple of years, and you know, some of the feedback you hear. You know, I, I know a, a couple personally that have that have left the industry. You know, is lots of hard work, lots of graft lack of progression, lack of support at times is, is what the feeling was. And it feels like you've got this, you know, real good progression route lined out here. So, you know, talk us through that, that, that element, you know, particularly with nurses, how do you keep them engaged? Um, we recently actually um, asked our nurses, you know, as part of their appraisal process, um, what would you like to do? You know, what courses would you like to do? What are your personal goals? What are your professional goals? And how can we support you with that? And we had three nurses turn around and say, we'd like to do radiography. So we put all three on a radiography course. Now, do we need four? So we've already got one radiography trained dental nurse in our practice. Do we need four with that qualification? You know, some practice owners would say, probably not. But it's more about, you know, helping them progress, helping them grow more than it is about, you know, specifically. Now, of course, they're going to benefit the practice and of course, they're going to, you know, um, be able to contribute more. Um, But for us, it's more about, you know, helping them do more, grow more and have opportunity. It's also about, um, you know, what can they offer in their own self-esteem? You know, how can we help that grow? And we've seen a huge, you know, change in some of our team members because of those extra steps. We've also um, had, you know, we've had four dental therapists join us who are all dental nurses before. So there is a clear path of progression for dental nurses if they want to, to either go on to be a dental therapist or even become a dentist. I was a dental nurse and I actually was fortunate enough to become a dentist straight off the back of my qualification. Thanks to Peninsula Dental School, I did the GAMSAT. And I actually, you know, was very lucky to to get in. And, and I owe, you know, so much to Peninsula, I really do. Um, and they're very good at accepting, um, you know, um, people onto their courses who've, who've gone down a similar route to myself. 
Um, and I think we need that joined up thinking to progress from dental therapist to dentist. And I think if we can achieve that, if we can enable that so that there is a, a more straightforward path for progression, um, it will add a huge amount to our industry and it will enable people to, you know, not have to make such difficult choices. You know, should I do this? Should I do that? Or if I become a dental therapist, I could become a dentist later on if I want to, because it can be very scary. You know, becoming a dentist is a huge, you know, huge step. It's a lot of responsibility and a lot of stress at times. And so a lot of dental nurses, becoming a dental therapist is, you know, what one of their dreams, but also allows them to be able to become a clinician without the full stress of being a dentist. But that may change and they may decide, actually, I would like to go on to do that now. But just simply going back to university for another five full years, taking on that debt um, is just too much of a, of a step because they have to also pay the fees for the full five years. They don't get bursaries if they've already become a dental therapist. So there are difficult choices. And I think, you know, the, the, the dental education system needs some reform around that to really enable us to, to move forward um, as a country within the industry. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, nurse recruitment has been a real, a real challenge for us as well. We are, uh, you know, we're having multiple sites, multiple managers, you know, you know, making sure that all of our nurses across the board feel motivated. Um, and we've, we've implemented a couple of strategies. So one, making sure we pay fairly, let's be honest, you know, nurses are disgruntled about pay. Um, so we have a very clear pay structure. Um, although there's not an official nurse banding structure like there is kind of for, for non-dental nurses or normal nurses, we actually have a banding structure. So when you join our, our company, here's the pay structure. Everyone's on the same pay structure so that they know it's open and honest. And so they know there's progression on the pay scale, uh, pay scale as well. Um, we've invested a lot in our trainees and we don't put trainees in surgery that have no experience. We bring trainees in. There is a four month program of what they do over the four months before they're allowed to go into surgery and nurse and support a dentist. And because we invested in that, we're now on the other side of that. So we don't actually feel the pain as much. Um, when, uh, you know, with, uh, if someone leaves, we've got enough bandwidth. Um, but the other side is you don't want people to leave. So how do we keep people? Pay, training, uh, like Felicity just said, and I think that radiography is a brilliant example. And the mindset of actually, do you know what? It's not about us; it's about them, and we're gonna we're gonna invest in them because it's gonna you know it's gonna motivate them. I think it's absolutely the the right ethos and the right way we need to be thinking about it. Um, we also pay we pay GDC indemnity for our nurses as well, so that they don't have to. Um, and I think for a nurse having to pay out GDC is a lot of money, but as a group, you know, in the broader scheme of things, we can afford it and we can afford it. If you want good nurses and you want good staff, because if you can afford to pay for a locum when the nurse has gone sick or the nurse hasn't turned up or you've got a gap, you can afford to pay for their indemnity. So and that is the truth. And so we've done all of that um, and just making sure we've got a pay scale. And then also just, you know, there is a, there is a point where it's about the environment and making sure that it's a really nice place to work. And I hope, and I, I you know, we, we, we strive every day to make our dental practices really nice environment to work in, so people want to come, people are happy there. So if the competitor's offering an extra 50p an hour and a pound an hour, they're not gonna jump ship because they know, actually, do you know what, if I stick it out, there's pay coming and there's progression here. Um, but also, actually, I don't wanna move somewhere else and it'd be a bad environment or a toxic environment. So that's why our environments and the place that our people work in is, is really important. Um, so we, and we, we continue to develop and, and kind of invest in our trainee population. You know, we've got a number of trainees that are kind of still in the early four months where they're still shadowing, they're still training, and we're going to take them on that, on that journey with us. Great to hear. And what I'm hearing, you know, across both of your stories there and, and talking through is you know, having real structure behind it. You know, there's, there's got to be structure in there. Now, you mentioned there about like being a nice place to work. Like, so we, we've, we've talked about the, the training aspects and pay come up as well, but actually the environment when people are working, t tell me more about that. So I think certainly for us, so, so when we're designing our clinics to make sure that the staff got a nice staff room, okay? Make sure, have they got their own toilet facilities and not having to use the, 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 the patient toilets? Things like, things like that, kind of small things like that make it uh, a, a really important kind of in the overall design. Um, but actually, um, making sure people understand our culture and values. What do we stand for? Okay, um, because that's really important to make sure it's consistent across across all of our, our clinics. Um, having open and honest dialogue with people. 
um, you know, showing compassion, I think is really, really important. Um, and, and those kinds of things come from the managers, right? They don't come from me directly. Um, I wish they did. Um, but so what we do, we do a lot of time spending on our, our practice managers, training them on good people management um, and making sure they, they learn how to do one-to-ones. How do you do an appraisal? Uh, because the CQC asks you to do all of those things and you can do them and you can tick a box and file the document uh, away. Or you can really do a one-to-one where you can really understand your team and what motivates them, what makes them tick. And that's what we're trying to do with our, our managers and training that level of managers to be able to do uh, to, to do that. Um, we also have a thing, we have Fat Fridays. Last Friday of every month, we get food in for the teams. So 11 practices. Uh, I have an ethos that um, uh, families that eat together stay together. So teams that eat together stay <laughs> together. So um, I'm a big foodie. So we uh, we uh, send out food to all of our practices on, a, on the last Friday of the month, which is good fun. Um, but also, you know, the, the core, if you look at our brand and our values uh, and our core principles in the middle of it, you know, We've got a, uh, a hashtag that says hashtag work hard, make it have fun and make a difference. And that make a, uh, have fun is really important because it's contagious. If your teams are having fun, your patients will be happy. They'll see that. They'll see that positive energy in your clinic. I have, I've gone out to buy practices or see practices or help friends that want practices. And you walk in and you can just feel the tension in the waiting room, can't you? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you can feel the nurse has just thrown an instrument in the surgery, right? You know, and it's those kinds of things. You just don't want that because that patient is coming once every six months or or has paid three or four thousand pounds for high value treatment. You absolutely don't want to be delivering that that, that sort of care or environment. And, and do you think you're masking it? People are very intuitive. Everyone's got very strong sixth sense about these things. Well, look, uh, that's really great to really great to hear. Now I've got to ask a super serious question after after all that. What you, know, you mentioned being a foodie and getting the food in on Fat Fridays. What's usually on the menu? Oh, do you know what we, we actually let the teams decide. So the teams can choose what, what cuisine they want. Um, so it can be you know it can be shawarmas and falafels, or it could be pizza, or it could be they'll, they'll run out to McDonald's and get themselves some uh, Big Macs or something. Yeah, it's a it's a local level decision. We don't mandate what they eat, but there's there's always food. <laughs> if, you, if you want to come and visit us, visit us on the last Friday of of any month there's always food around yeah i love that idea of uh, foodie friday it's fantastic (laughs) i like that foodie friday because i get told off for calling it fat friday so foodie friday i'm going to rewind it i'm stealing that one felicity you're welcome (laughs) what about yourself um felicity in terms of that the actual team environment day to day what what do you guys do we're very similar again we we love providing a, a really nice size staff room you know hopefully we do have a big team and even though we have a large um, team room it can get a little bit full but um, everyone um, manages and it just creates a really lovely atmosphere as well we I think having a nice practice as well as the, the team room the actual surgeries the actual waiting area the actual environment you know our dental practice in uh, Callington currently is in an, a, a very industrial um, site it's on an industrial estate as such and it couldn't be less glamorous if you tried it really couldn't from the outside but when patients step inside they are wowed they love it they love the the environment and it's the same for the team and I think if you've got that environment that people feel proud to work in it helps their self-esteem they have nice uniforms they have that you know can hold their head up high and say you know I'm part of Archway that's all you know massive thing for self-esteem and you know I've worked in many dental practices in my time um, and I've got a lot of experience of of what's good what's bad uh, and hopefully able to bring that you know make that difference to to our practice as in terms of the actual facility Um, the atmosphere of course is is absolutely key and having that um, relaxed you know we have standards of course we have boundaries of course but having that um, real um ability to enable people to have a laugh and have fun and that rub off on the patients the patients love feeling part of your team and I think if you can create that sort of team and patient synergy together it means that you've you've got happy people walking out the door instead of miserable people walking out the door we don't want that you know and that goes for our team and patients as well so so look I think the thing that's coming across like from from both you today is that that the passion towards the culture within the teams that you've that you've worked with and that you've created and, and that real buy-in you get and then you know I can really relate to that you know the, the, the culture of, of the team that we've got here I've got 
uh, 14 uh, members of, of, of the sales team that I work really closely with. You know, and, and that feeling of people being super bought in is, is, is one of the best feelings you get. And you know, next question I'm going to ask is about one of the, the moments when you feel the most proud in, in, in those examples. So for me, you know, when I look at the team, and, and my proudest moments are often at trade exhibitions because you know we've got a lot of the team that are remote, so we don't often get everyone together at once. But this is the one examples of the year when we when we get everyone together, and you know the passion that everyone exudes towards the role, the energy that everyone puts in, the togetherness, people looking out for each other. You know, they're the moments when I when I look around and go, "This is why I'm here. This is what I love about about the role." You know, what are your favourite moments? When do you feel most proud? I some of the moments I've just had a couple spring to mind of my team that have made a difference to patients lives as individuals on a level that I you know you just would not have expected from a dental practice quite frankly I think really you know having that you know touching people's lives in a way that you know they didn't expect is just what makes me super proud and a couple of examples of that are we had a patient who um drove up the rather bumpy driveway of our practice and made it to the practice with two flat tires now how he actually did that absolutely no clue but he literally I don't know what he'd done but he he had two wheels that just were not functioning anymore completely flat tires um and one of our reception team actually basically rang around about 10 different tyre places to get him sorted out and get him back on the road. Now that, you know, that wasn't in her job description, but that was her, you know, the empowerment that she had to make a difference, help this guy get back on the road. You know, he was an elderly gentleman. I don't think he would have known what to have done otherwise. And and that was, that was a fab moment. Um, Having our team walk patients out into their, you know, into their car, um, Joe, one of our fantastic trainee nurses, actually, she had a patient who was just in bits, lots of going on in her personal life, a lot of drama and, and burden of having to take care of her, her husband, who was very, very unwell. And she obviously felt very, very stressed. And Joe walked her out into the car park, got her to a car, gave her a massive hug and said, you know, you're 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 amazing. What you're doing is is phenomenal. And, you know, keep going. You know, you'll you'll be great. Those are the things that bring a tear to my eye. You know, some of the reviews we get from our um, for our team members who the patients name them personally. Um, you know, some of the feedback we get is just truly, truly phenomenal. And that's just the team doing their thing. That's not me telling them to, to do those things. That's them, you know, providing that level of service and care that just takes that patient to another place. And, and the patients are so happy. So that that's my real sort of proud moment is that we've got those team members we've got that culture that we're really able to make a difference beyond dentistry and I think dentistry is healthcare but it's also getting involved in someone's life and you know I'm sure Canal your team members have the same thing patients can come into our surgeries and tell us all sorts of things that Mm -hmm. have got absolutely nothing to do with dentistry whatsoever and how you deal with those things as well can make a huge difference supporting people in their journey of life in general you know it it just that that's for me what makes it because sometimes people go to the dentist is their activity for the day it's absolutely that's their thing for the day and they'll have a cup of tea at the Costa next door and then go home it's uh it's really important absolutely we we have a um most of our patients are over the age of 50 and um you know particularly our very very elderly patients over 90 in the late 80s 90s it is literally you know it's in their calendar they're looking forward to coming and seeing you it's like an extended family visit somehow and, and that's you know i love it i just love the chats with our with our older patients as well yeah and i guess josh from our perspective um you know i think for me uh, when i've seen a trainee nurse get to manage and i've seen it a few times i think that's really really rewarding You've just seen yeah. that career path, that perfect career path of coming in right at the start, learning from ground up and then and then growing. Um, and are often our best managers as well uh, because they've just been there, they've done it, they, they absolutely get every part of the role. Um, so that's that's probably um, you know one of the big motivational things for me and the wow moments where I think, you know what, we're, we're doing some good stuff here. Um, and then equally, I love smile makeovers and we do a lot of them. So whether it's the uh, implants and um, uh, all on pause, you know, just seeing a patient in the morning kind of with their teeth um, 
not looking so good and then they're walking out with a really nice smile and and not just walking out with a nice smile but for them it means so much more and those patients have said oh you know i couldn't eat a steak or you know i've been living on soup you know those are the realities of people's life oh they're just living with pain and they go in they have this done similarly when someone has like clear alignment treatment you know they've not been able to get orthodontic treatment as a child or they've been bullied at school or they've just made a decision that they actually want to have a nice smile and when they finally get the, you know, the aligners off and they get all cleaned up and any attachments off, that's a really wow moment. And people really like that experience. And I think that makes me proud that we're delivering really good smiles. Absolutely. I think the patients that are the, the most happy to come and see us are our clear aligner patients because they are having a treatment that they want. They, they may have wanted it for some time. They're looking forward to the results. And um, I have to say some of the my most favorite treatments that I've done have been with clear aligners. So I totally agree. Awesome. So that we're um, coming to the end of the hour. So we've talked a lot about the um, about the team today and the culture that, that, that you guys have built within within your practices and, we, and so we're talking you know at the beginning about kind of the, the challenges that we see and obviously a lot of this touches on the su- supply of staff issues you know how do we retain staff how do we attract staff the other part we're talking about is demand starting to to drop you know how do you see this ethos on team and culture then translate through to you know the overall results of the practice Going back to what we were talking about earlier, which was to do with how patients feel as a result of your team, you know, the interactions with your team, then leading patients to go and talk about their interactions with with the team and how that uh, has made them feel and how what a good experience those referrals to people in the wider community. Most people, you know, I think they will say, oh, well, I would I would take a recommendation for a dentist. So they don't just pick one out of, you know, a, a long list. They want to know why should I go to that practice? So they'll check your reviews. You know, that is a big source of recommendation indirectly. What do other people say about you? That's what people want to know that. And that will only happen if you've got a happy team. Um, and I think, you know, demand at the moment for dentistry in general obviously we're talking about that there being a a possible slowdown there I think it's going to continue to be steady I think we're going to see a a continuous steady um sort of demand it may not be you know as it was after you know post-covid but I think is that's going to continue you know quite nicely I don't see there being a dramatic drop-off even with the cost of living crisis I think people are still going to need you know to, to, to access services and with the big corporates now overnight almost going from nhs to private you know how is that being delivered to patients are they delivering a private experience are they able do they have the the culture do they have the team do they have the facilities do they have the environment or are they just whacking private on the door instead patients will still know that they'll still feel that you know maybe okay, it's private now, but what does that mean to me? How is it different? How, you know, you know, why should I pay privately to go to this practice? Is there other choices? And I think that's going to be a big shift over the next couple of years is, yes, there'll be more private practices, but you'll have a big variation in standards. So you'll have, um, you know, I, I, you know, all dentists are working hard to deliver good value for, for the patients, I believe, in the circumstances and, and the equipment and facilities that they have and the time constraints that they have now some practices are still operating within those tight time frames but now rather than being nhs being private how are patients going to feel so i think practices that are offering that real amazing patient journey are going to be the ones that thrive They, they are going to be the ones that overall do well because patients don't forget that you know people you know they they won't remember what you've said but they'll remember how you made them feel that is a huge part of of what we do and you know patients pick up on all sorts of things and I think that's that's going to be a big driver for the future is you know maintaining that patient journey yeah I'd I'd echo what Felicity said to be honest we need to up our a game uh you know there's a there's fewer chances to make mistakes you know there's fewer chances that you can get it wrong and that patient could tell 10 other people um, and, you know, uh, kind of just upping the standards and saying, actually, do you know what, we're good at our patient journey, but we have to be better. And reviewing that journey, um, because it is going to get tighter, but there's still patients out there. It's, they're making a choice whether they're coming to your practice or a competitor's practice. 
Um, I love the point that Felicity made about kind of um, you know practices that become that are NHS practices that are just going to label themselves as private practices. Actually, you know, digital technology I think is so important. You've got to have the right facilities in your clinic. Uh, you know, about probably ten years ago, sending a CBCT scan to the neighbouring practice was an okay. But now I think you need to have that kit on site. You need to have that scanner. You need to have the Artero scanner to be able to give the patient the before and after. Because if you don't, the practice next door will. So I think it's really important that we up our game. We really focus on our patient journey and what we're and what we're delivering. Train our teams to make sure they're delivering the service we want them to deliver. Um, and also, I'll give a, a SOE a shout out. Make sure you're on top of your care manager. Don't let any of those leads slip through care <laughs> manager. That's for sure. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, um, yeah, you know, really great to to hear that. And I think some some key messages that that are coming out of that in terms of the thoughts for the future that that I'm hearing from this is. Uh, for, for those private practices listening today, you know, really reflect on the service that you offer and you know, what qualifies that as a private service, you know, that whole way through the through the journey. How do you differentiate from, from an NHS practice? And I think that's such an important thing. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much, um, Kunal. Thank you so much, Felicity, for, for joining us today. Um, it's been a really, really great conversation and I'm sure the listeners are going to take away some real key insight. And um, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. So thank you once again, Felicity and Canal. I'm sure everyone listening would have been able to take away some key actions from the conversation there. If you've enjoyed the content, please follow our Software of Excellence social media pages where we'll post some more industry insight. Thanks and see you next time.